obviously they're really good. You know, there's an, an impressive, uh, an impressive performance. Uh, you know, I think when you look at them, just you see the balance, right? You know, obviously they have, you know, Timmy, who's you know preseason player of the year, but you know the guard play with Nemhard, you know, Holmgren's talented. They have, they have been a complete team. Uh, Strother, Bolton. I mean, they put five guys on the floor. Not many teams can do this in college, but they put five guys on the floor. They can all pass, handle, and shoot. And, you know, that makes it always difficult for you as a defense. But, you know, we're excited about the opportunity. Uh, our guys, this is part of the reason you come to Duke to be in games like this. So I can tell you the excitement is there from our end. Uh, and the belief for us, we're going into this game to get a win. Well, that was Duke assistant coach John Shire. And this is episode 361 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thanks for joining us, Duke fans. We are here to do one thing and one thing only. We are looking ahead to Friday, to the, the big matchup, number one versus number five, Duke against Gonzaga, the game being played in Las Vegas. First, we have introductions. I am Jason Evans. If you don't know that by now, you haven't been listening to 361 episodes of our podcast. <laughs> I am joined, as I always am, by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam in Boston, getting ready for a nice Thanksgiving, I hope. Yes, I am. Uh, we, uh, my girlfriend and I are driving to New York tonight, so please pray for us in the traffic, but it uh, should, be, should be a good holiday. I am very uh, sad that I won't be in Vegas, where I believe Donald is right now. Yes, you, you stole my thunder. Donald, tell us about where you are, my man. Uh, well, when I look to my left over here, which you, you guys can't see, I'm just doing this to tease you. I have a nice, nice view of the Las Vegas Strip. I am here for the game on Friday night uh, with my dad and my brother. We will be at the game. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of this. Let's let's get it cracking. So, folks, we, we told you we're going to have a special preview of the Duke versus Gonzaga matchup. And to help us with that, we have brought on a true expert in the Gonzaga Bulldogs. We are joined now by Peter Woodburn. He is the site manager for the Slipper Still Fits, the SB Nation website dedicated to Gonzaga. Peter, thanks a lot for joining us here in the Duke Basketball Report. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, dude, I'm going to start by saying you guys just beat the stink off of UCLA last <laughs> night. I mean, <laughs> was, was that an unusually good game? Was that like a, a perfect matchup for Gonzaga? Or are you guys really that great? I, I think it's honestly somewhere in between. I mean, I I watched the game and it was really hard to kind of differentiate if Gonzaga was that good or UCLA was that bad. Um, they looked completely lost on the defensive end um, and to the point that they just got, they dug such a deep hole in the first half that there was really no way that they could ever pull out of it without Gonzaga essentially completely flatlining on offense for, you know, 10 to 12 minutes. Um, and, and I think in general too, just UCLA style of play, which is taking a lot of mid range jumpers. Um, you know, they're, they're not, they're not the most necessarily kind of offensively dynamic team, I think. And so they just had such a huge hole, um, and they're the not a good, they're not a good defensive team either. and they're not a good <laughs> defensive team either. Yeah. So I think, I think that I, th I definitely think that it was a, it was a sign of kind of how good Gonzaga is. And there was a lot of things that were going right for him last night. Um, and combined with that, it was a little bit of a sign of personally and no offense to UCLA, but I mean, their number two ranking is largely based on the fact that they're a final four team last year, which ignores the fact that they barely made the tournament in the first place. 
or also barely made it to the final four with all their overtime wins. You know, if UCLA lost an extra Pac-12 game, they wouldn't have started the season as a number two team. They would have been number 25 team or something like that. So I think that there's a little bit of that um, that kind of got displayed last night as well. Okay, regardless of and, and and I appreciate the humble, you know, response that you gave. Your team looked fabulous last night and freshman Chet Holmgren was absolutely unreal, especially his defensive presence, his, his ability to impact shots, both blocking them and changing them. Um and and you know, he's getting his hands on balls. He's just looked quick. I mean, you guys just you seemed like you were operating at a different speed from UCLA. Talk to me a little bit about Chet because has he been all that in in other Gonzaga games this year, or, or was that just uh, you know uh, sort of like I said, is that him playing the best he can play? Yeah, I think I think that last night was a really good example of what people were expecting out of Chet Holmgren. Um, you know, the uh, the Zags so far have basically played Texas and then now UCLA and then just a bunch of cupcakes. And so, um, you know, watching him beat up on sub 300 Ken Palm teams isn't, you know, you don't take too much away from that. Against Texas, he was largely, because Drew Timmy was just obliterating Texas on the offensive end, uh, Holmgren really kind of took a, a, to, he stepped aside on the offensive end. He dealt with a little bit of foul trouble. So really on that first kind of big national stage, you didn't see a lot of them. And last night he was able to, you know, stayed out of foul trouble. And I think realistically, it's like you said, his, what he demonstrated is how he changes the opponent's shot in the post. I mean, cause he is just so long, you know, he's seven feet tall, but his wingspan is seven, six. So he kind of, he can come out of absolutely nowhere and suffocate any shot that he wants to. And that's really been one of the biggest differences for Gonzaga this year compared to last year is if you're operating with Holmgren in the post, defending everywhere around the rim, it allows Drew Timmy to be a little bit more of an aggressive defender. He's not the best defender, but allows him to be more aggressive. It allows the guards to be more aggressive because you know that you just have essentially kind of a little bit of a freak of nature standing right underneath the hoop. Who's going to alter anybody's (laughs) shot. And, you know, so last night too, what we really saw is his offensive potential. You know, he drained a couple of threes. He had that nasty crossover that led to a dunk, Um, he's just, he's a fluid player. He can bring it up the floor and it was, it was a lot of fun to watch because I think last night is really the sort of example of why he was, you know, ranked as the number one high school recruit coming in this year. Um, so we've seen as scary as Gonzaga can get, I think last night. Um, but in your nightmares, (laughs) Gonzaga, you know, Gonzaga loses, What's that game like? What's the formula, in your opinion, for beating them? I think the the interesting thing about Gonzaga this year, um, and there's a lot of I, I've compare I compare them a lot to last year's team because both teams began the season, you know, uh, ranked number one. Um, both teams, you know, last year's preseason, this year preseason, Final Four, kind of a national championship or bust sort of mentality. The big difference with this year's team is that they're a lot younger. Um, they have obviously they got Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy and 
Razor Bolton and Anton Watson as your upperclassmen. But after that, it's all freshmen or players that played very spot minutes last year. And so they still are prone to, uh, I guess, kind of freshman mistakes or mistakes from the youth. And we've seen it in some of the games um, against some of those cupcakes. You know, they get a little bit complacent or it's just rotations are missed or passes just aren't going where they're supposed to go. And I think in a close game, that could be a way that a team could really try and squeak one out, um, you know, pull an upset because they are, they are pretty young. And so they will make mistakes and they have made mistakes this year. Um, Luckily they've just basically, you know, been so far ahead of Texas, so far ahead of UCLA that, any mistakes were pretty much kind of masked by the overall um, final box score. Peter, you were talking about Andrew Niemhart and last night he had a terrific game. He had 24 points. Uh, mostly, I guess, Tiger Campbell was, was guarding him. So he's presumably the leader of the team, but how do you think he matches up against bigger guards? Cause you know, Duke will have Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels who are not, 511 uh and then obviously you have Julian Strother the other uh wing guy that you have so how do your guards match up against Dukes uh particularly the bigger ones um i think you know Nemhard matches up i think pretty well he's he's got good size i think he's you know 65 um Julian Strother is is great he's uh, he's 67 he's got some serious length and and Nemhard, he's not he's not the quickest guard on the planet, and I think that that's maybe where he can get burned a little bit. He's really a smart player, and I think that UCLA game last night really demonstrated it. But you know, he's not going to blow by anyone necessarily, and so if he's facing off against a more athletic guard, I think that he might struggle a little bit on the defensive end. But again, you know, having as long as Holmgren is in the post, you know, it allows him to really kind of body up on those guards, you know, maybe overcommit a little bit if he needs to. Um, And, and that's, and, you know, but I think that that is one area where he can struggle a little bit, but so far, you know, so far he's looked great on the defensive end. Um, But he was never, he was never going to be that big of a risk of picking anybody's pocket or anything like that. I think he's just a pretty capable defender. Yeah, so we've talked about a couple of guys, you know, on the starting lineup. You know, I think we'll talk about Drew, Drew Timmy in just a second, but I want to get to your bench because uh, you guys do play a little bit deep. Who on the bench should Duke be looking out for? Who's the up and coming guy that's going to, you know, be the microwave, so to speak, for your team off the bench? Yeah, I think the, I mean, who I, my favorite, one of my favorite players on the team is Anton Watson. He's a Spokane product and he's a really unassuming player. He's a um, 6'8 forward um, junior this year. um, And he, he doesn't make a lot of waves on the offensive end, but he is just a lockdown defender. And if, the Gonzaga and Duke game is close. And if Duke is making, you know, maybe a seven Oh run or something like that, you very well could see um, Mark few kind of switch to a, like a three quarter press and it will have Anton Watson six, eight at the very top of it. And he's an absolute defensive menace and he can pretty much guard one through five. And I think that because he doesn't score a lot of points, um, you know, he's not, he's not a really 
flashier, explosive player. He's just pretty solid on the offensive end. I think he gets overshadowed, especially on this Gonzaga team. And even within the fan base, there's a lot of people um, that, you know, don't think that highly of him, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. It's just they want him to score 20 points, but he doesn't need to. So he's really, I think, off the bench. He'll be the first one off the bench. And his defensive presence is enough to give any other player fits. Um, also, Nolan Hickman, who is a was a, I think, a low five star, high four star kind of straddling that um, area. He's a freshman out of Seattle. He was originally, I forget if he was committed to Kentucky or he was committed somewhere. I forget. And then he backed out of his commitment and came to Gonzaga. And he's been, um, he's, he's a solid point guard. He's an incredibly just kind of steady force. You kind of, he's one of those players that kind of seems to sort of play without emotion and is just kind of his, he's just in the zone the entire time. And he's been an, an incredible, um, bench player because he doesn't turn the ball over at all. He's got a great shot. He's just got great instincts for a freshman, and so he's able to, whenever Nemhard needs to step away from point or anything, you basically have a point guard who would probably be starting on a majority of other NCAA teams, like coming off the bench. And then finally, although he hasn't on the offensive end really put it together at all, they have Hunter Salas. He was ranked, I think, number 10 in this year's recruiting class. And defensively, he's been great. He's got a lot of length. Um, but he's still, he's still a little rough around the edges. So he hasn't really displayed, I think what he can do offensively. I don't think he's hit a three point shot yet, but you know, he's, he's another body that they can throw in there, um, in case anybody gets foul trouble and you're not really having too steep of a decline in quality. And, and that's really what makes, I think Gonzaga so dangerous is that their bench players like those three players largely would be starting on any other team. And the only reason they're not starting is because Gonzaga just has too many guys on it. Speaking of one of those guys, I know we we're going to get back to this guy, Drew Timmy, only the preseason player of the year. Uh, when, when he came back. So first of all, last year, he had a great year. Were you expecting him to come back or were you surprised as a lot of us were that he uh, decided to come back for one more year? And now that you have him back, what is it like to have him in the front court, especially lined up alongside Chet Holmgren? Yeah, I, I always thought that he would come back because he was, I mean, you know, he was an amazing player last year, but he was straddling that line of amazing college player, but not quite at it for the NBA level. Um, just because of the way that the NBA game has shifted, you know, Drew Timmy 20 years ago would have been in the NBA no matter what. I mean, he's just an old school post player, but needs to he needs to establish that he can you know expand his range a little bit he needs to get a little bit better defensively and work on kind of that lateral quickness and all of that but so i i wasn't that surprised when he decided honestly the thing that surprised me the most is that he declared that he was coming back so quickly like he didn't even really dabble in the nba draft process pretty much at all i think he, whereas everyone else kind of you know they go through hire or not hire an agent, but say that they're going to go and come back. He just flat out stated he was coming back. So that was really the surprising part for me. Hey, Peter, really quick. Do, do you think that's because he was dead set on coming back and winning a national title? This, this was, was it about draft stock or was it about him wanting to accomplish something at the college level? I think, I, I think more of the latter. I mean, I think part of it was that 
he knew as well that his draft stock wasn't really there and that this and knowing what was coming in. And I think for, and I mean, I assume that for a lot of players, you know, that Baylor loss had to have just stung. Baylor was the better team and they just, they took what was a fantastic year from Gonzaga last year and just stuffed it down the toilet for that 40 minutes. And that's got to, that's something I think that lives with a human being. So I think, you know, and I think that he's coming back and he's, I think he wants to show that, you know, he can, that he can lead this team to a, a championship. And I think that's, what's really fun to watch about Drew Timmy is, I mean, on the offensive end, he's just, I think, especially for older individuals who enjoy watching basketball, he's a treat to watch because it is just kind of a throwback style that it's, you know, he's just ducking and weaving and pivoting and turning left and turning right. And his footwork is just beautiful. And, and And on the Gonzaga end, what I think is a lot of fun is that he's really a kind of goofy individual, that mustache celebration that he does all the time. I mean, he's just, that's who he is on his personality level. And I can see, um, you know, that for opposing fans, you'd get a little upset about that. But in reality, his sort of just who he is, he's just a goofball. And um, so watching him, just watching him play as a treat. And I'm so glad that he came back um, because I think that, you know, he is, he is one of the best players in college hoops and um, largely overshadowed last year by Garza. And realistically, Drew Timmy was still one of the best players, at least best forwards in college hoops last year, but, you know, you got to give Garza his due. So, you know, just kind of the pecking order. Now it's Drew Timmy's turn, but love watching him play. I mean, he's just so much fun to watch. Just if you just watch his, his style and his um, his abilities in the post. I mean, it's just ingenious and it's, it's just a throwback. You don't really see that too much anymore in um, the NBA, definitely. And to a certain extent in college nowadays as well. Peter, I want to ask you a bit about Gonzaga fans feelings about this Duke game, but before I get there, because you mentioned the, <laughs> the run last year in the national championship game, uh, how do, how do Gonzaga fans feel about last season and, and the way that it ended um, it feels like the the program's been on this pretty steady march up in in terms of uh, sort of national prominence, uh, obviously over the whole of Mark Few's tenure, but certainly over the last like five, mm-hmm. six, seven years. Um, mm-hmm. So where do fans sort of feel like the, the program is now after last season? I think, you know, last last year's was um, I think fans got over that loss a lot quicker um, than the 2017 loss to UNC. I think, you know, the 2017 team was fantastic to watch and that title game was just a horrible, like foul ridden mess. And on, on both ends. And I, you know, and, and I think that that game felt because it was a little bit closer and to a certain extent, again, on both sides of the ball, pretty poorly officiated, I think there was a lingering resentment from a lot of Gonzaga fans that are kind of like, oh, you know, the refs stole that one from us for UNC or, um, you know, his hand was out of bounds at the end or, you know, kind of where you can make excuses, you know, but versus last year, you know, especially I think that everyone kind of forgot the narrative that going into the seat in the preseason um, Baylor Gonzaga was ranked number one and Baylor was ranked number two. And I think they were separated by like two points or something. I mean, it was basically 50, 50 in terms of 
who was the first place team and Baylor had their COVID shut down. You know, they looked bad for about two games and then they just went back to just destroying everyone. And so I think for a lot of Gonzaga fans, it was really easy to get over because you can't make excuses about that game. I mean, Baylor just took it to him and just punched him in the face. And if you still want to be upset about it, you know, if someone wants to be upset about it to this point, like go ahead, they can knock themselves out. Like I just kind of blocked it out of my memory. I don't want to think about it ever happening again. You know, it's not going to be any game. I'm going to rewatch for any joyous sake. Um, And and, you know, and that's just how college basketball is. You just got to every year, you just got to pick up and you just have to move on. And I think the interesting thing about it for me is that because of that loss, I think that a lot of Gonzaga fans are very aware of essentially hyping this team too much, especially after winning against UCLA last night. I think last year, there was, you know, they rattled and especially last year is just weird in general, but, you know, they started off beating Kansas and they were beating all these good teams in the non-conference schedule and the Ken Palm rankings were separating them and everyone's like, oh, they can't be stopped. And it's like, well, we know what it's like to be stopped now. So I think a lot of people are going to be a little bit better about um, kind of making sure that we're not too big for our britches before um, March rolls around. So then thinking about the Duke game, what are Zags fans kind of nervous about against Duke? Because I think there are a lot of we, we've talked about a lot of the players already on the Gonzaga side, but there are a lot of great matchups that are going to be happening on Friday night. Yeah, I think, you know, the, I, the Duke game is going to be really exciting, especially because I think Duke is in the front court, at least on height will be the first team so far if size that can match up with Gonzaga. And obviously um, Paolo, Seattle product um, or Washington product, um, you know, considered Gonzaga as well. I think he was in the final, their fine, his final four or final three that he was choosing from. And, you know, you got already that narrative of who will be number one and, you know, in number one draft pick like Paolo or Chet and, Um, and obviously he's been a monster in college basketball to start the season. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal in he's, and that's no surprise. I have a friend that taught at, um, O'Day high school where he went and he's been, you know, a man playing a child's game since like ninth grade, essentially. (laughs) So, um, I, 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 that matchup is going to be fascinating because I think, uh, especially on the offensive end for Duke, their front court has players that can give the Gonzaga defense, you know, even Chet and Timmy, like they can give them problems as well. And, you know, and then you got Wendell Moore, who's just like one of the best wings in the game, I think. And so there's, Duke also has a lot of guys and Duke's also has a lot of talent and Duke also to a certain extent has a lot of youth kind of in the same way Gonzaga does. So in a weird way, they have pretty similar teams. I think that have, you know, that we might see a little bit sloppier of a game than all of us want to see, you know, on Friday. And maybe if the two teams meet again in the tournament or something, we'd see a lot different game with a season under their belt and everything. So I think it's going to be a great kind of a great, bellwether just look at for both teams just kind of because it, it is really I think Duke is going to be the better the best matchup or the the really the best team that they've faced so far for Gonzaga um 
like I said, with all due respect, UCLA was a little bit overrated. And with all due respect, you know, Texas had, I don't know, seven or eight transfers. I mean, they're going to be better later, but in the second game of the season, they got so much that they have to work through anyways. So. All right. I want to finish with a couple of, of quick hit questions for you. The first is how does Gonzaga currently feel about being a member of the West coast conference, which is currently going through one of its best seasons ever. <laughs> but I feel like is, is sort of this weird, like, is it a crutch? Is it a benefit? How do you, how do you feel right now being in a, in a conference that's not sort of part of the power structure? It depends on who you ask. Um, there's a lot of fans who want them to get out of the WCC like today and, you know, play independent. I don't know, whatever, but, um, I think it's fine. I think it's realistically, it's just the, it's just the issue of geography. The U S is a really big country on the West coast in terms of, you know, the only power conference on the West coast is the PAC 12. Um, And then other than that, you know, you have the Mountain West, which isn't really that much of a step up from the WCC. You have the WAC, which is definitely the Western Athletic Conference, definitely not a step up. And so I think that I think that it serves them fine right now. And especially seeing teams this year, um, obviously, BYU, St. Mary's, Santa Clara has been on like a super cool run. Um, We might very well see. San Francisco is really good WCC too. teams in the tournament, which is absolutely bonkers to think about. Um, now with B with BYU leaving next year, I think that takes a little bit of the luster out of the WCC. You're taking away a pretty consistently good opponent. Um, but if the conference continues to rise up a little bit, I think it's okay. I think everyone would love to see Gonzaga be able to play you know, in the big East or wherever, I mean, in, in a conference where they could play good competition borderline twice a week, I think on just a realistic level, you know, geography wise, it just is so hard with how far away Spokane is from the rest of the country. All right. I wanted to finish with a question, a general question about Gonzaga in the NBA, but I wanted to ask it in a clever way. So here's my (laughs) Here's my best attempt at this. Um, you're you're from the state of Washington, I presume. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I know there's a whole meme. I'm I'm from the Washington D.C. area. I know that Donald lives there now. There's this whole meme about people confusing Washington D.C. and, and Washington State um, that I assume you're you're familiar with mm-hmm. being yeah. <laughs> a West Coast Washingtonian. So have you ever felt like more of an like that there's more synergy between West coast, Washington and East coast, Washington than there is this year because the wizards have three Gonzaga alumni on their roster. Oh, it's no, it's amazing. I I love it. It's, I mean, it makes it honestly a lot easier. I'm born and raised in the Seattle area. um, And I don't watch a lot of the NBA anymore solely because the supersonics turned into the thunder and we don't have a NBA team to watch. And it's not that I don't like NBA. It's just, in general, you know, it's just the TNT matchups or, you know, whatever, whoever LeBron is playing or whoever the Warriors are playing, like that's the games that we get broadcast to us. And um, so for me, it's been really fun to see the basically all the Gonzaga players coalescing on the Washington Wizards and the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, the Grizzlies only have Clark and Tilly. Um, but it just makes it way easier. You know, you don't have to follow all these teams at all. I just get to, I just get to kind of pick two teams and if they're on TV, I'm like, Oh, I'll tune into this. And, um, but you know, it's great. I think that one of the really interesting things about Gonzaga's 
20 plus run 20 year plus run here is seeing the elevation of guys getting into the NBA now. And I think that's largely why we've seen the growth of where Gonzaga is in the past five years, because in the beginning um, the, you know, in the early two thousands, they were really good teams, but they were like a lot of college teams that their players were going to play professional in Europe and they'd have really solid European careers and everything, but they weren't stocked with NBA caliber players. And what we've been seeing within the past five years the number of guys getting drafted is it Gonzaga's stocked with NBA caliber players. And I think that that's probably the biggest reason for the past five years, why you're seeing at minimum sweet 16 elite eight runs, multiple final four, multiple natty appearances, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's the difference. The talent level for them has just gotten that much higher. And it's, it's great to see them, um, you know, in the NBA and have basically more than your NBA representation be Kelly Olenek, which was what it was for the longest time. <laughs> I lied. I had one more for you uh, because we we did touch on Chet Holmgren for a little bit earlier. We talked a little bit about last year's team. Part of the, the whole narrative around Chet Holmgren is that he and Jalen Suggs were, were high school teammates. So how much did Gonzaga fans uh, fantasize about having the two of them together on a team this year? Oh, I mean, that would have been so fun. I, you know, there's, I think there is still people um, after the season ended who I think legitimately thought that that like actually, like honestly, legitimately thought that could be a possibility. And it's like, absolutely not. You know, no way. Why, why, I know, I know, I know NIL <laughs> is coming into town, but you know, you, millions of dollars is a lottery pick versus like, showing up for the local car commercial local used auto store you know getting a hundred thousand dollars there i mean it was never it was never ever going to happen and um and i think kind of you know what's cool especially with social media and stuff now for the the younger basketball players and the kids is i mean just check you know jalen jalen suggs instagram stories last night he was watching the gonzaga game with whoever is in his you know crew and you know and so it's like they all stay i think they still have the ability to stay connected. Um, and it would have been awesome to see them both play together. They played a ton together in high school. They won what, like four Minnesota state titles in high school. I think that, you know, they got their accolades there and maybe, maybe they'll just, maybe the magical draft home grin and then they'll just be able to play together after that. So, Hey, Peter, thanks so much. We really appreciate you joining us. You know, before you go, give me your prediction for Friday. What do you think is going to happen in the game? I think that this will I think this will be a really I think this will be a much closer game than the UCLA game because I think Duke is way I think Duke's just better offensively and defensively as well. So I think that this is going to be a close a closer game. Um I still until proven otherwise, I think that at the moment Gonzaga's kind of operating at a different level, but I'm going to put this at probably a pretty high scoring affair because Gonzaga doesn't know how to do anything other than that. And so I'm thinking we'll probably get a game, you know, 85 to 78, but probably something a little bit closer until it kind of one way or the other for either team goes the way of free throws and just kind of how those final box scores aren't really indicative of how close the game was, but I'm expecting the game to be, pretty close um, on both ends of the floor throughout the entire thing. And I hope it is. I think 
you know, half the fun of watching these really good teams play together. I mean, it was great last night for me watching UCLA because I was watching it at home by myself and it's easier to watch a blowout game than watch a stressful game by yourself. But eventually, you know, the better basketball games are the closer ones. So I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to see a closer game. And I think that Duke is going to bring that. For reference, Ken Palm right now has a Gonzaga victory, 80 to 73. So okay. you're in the same, you're in yeah. the same kind of ballpark. <laughs> well, Peter Woodburn, site manager of the slipper still fits. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it, man. You were a great guest. Gave us a, a nice deep dive. Um, I, 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 I hope you're wrong about your prediction. That's the, <laughs> that's the only thing I'll say. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks so much. And coming up after a quick commercial break, Donald, Sam and I will tell you what we think about the matchup with Gonzaga. Stay with us. Okay, so welcome back. Wow, that was, uh, we, you know, we promised you guys a deep dive. You got a deep dive right there. There were, you know, it was great just to hear him yeah, giving us stuff about guys on the bench and the roles they play. Uh, you know, I, I've watched Gonzaga a little bit this year in addition to the UCLA game, and and he gave me stuff that I hadn't even picked up on yet. So, Donald, give me your impression. What would you feel about the interview with Peter? What, what What's your big takeaway? Uh, he should have warned us like to get some scuba gear or something before he did such a deep dive into Gonzaga. That was absolutely thorough and awesome. Uh, so we really appreciate that. But uh, I mean, touching in, like I mean, he kind of alluded to it. Like this team is stacked at every position, especially their starters. And every starter is very, very, very good. And they can beat you by themselves if they needed to. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this game because it will be a true test for both teams, I think. He he also mentioned at the end that Duke probably gives them one of the biggest tests that they will have this season because uh, after this, they play Alabama, and then that's about it for the rest of the season until the NCAA tournament. So this is something that they probably have circled on their schedule as, hey, this is the biggest test we're going to see. Paulo Bancaro versus Chet Holmgren, that's just one of the storylines in this game uh, because there's a lot of guys out there who can really impact a basketball game and I'm lucky that I'm going to be able to see it live. It's going to be great. I think that his prediction about Gonzaga winning in a seven or eight point affair, I, I don't want to be too optimistic about it. I actually sort of think that's a that's a good outcome for Duke because Duke has had one game against a, a really strong opponent this year. That was Kentucky. Gonzaga is a lot better than Kentucky. If you watched any of Gonzaga's game last night or any of their their previous games, you know that Gonzaga, as Peter was saying, operates at a different level. And if Duke at this point in the season is able to keep it, you know, a one or two possession game against Gonzaga, whether they win or lose, I think is actually a really good outcome for the Blue Devils, because even though they've, they've put up big numbers and, and guys, I have to apologize that I haven't yet listened to the episode from the other day. So I haven't gotten the live reaction to Duke scoring 100 points yet, which I know is something that we always track. Uh, so so that's a that's a reminder to me. But um, we haven't. I don't think we've seen yet Duke put together a really, really, really good game. Like at you know at, at every phase of the game. So if if Duke does that against Gonzaga, yes, I think that Duke has a chance of beating Gonzaga. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility. But there's a world where Duke loses this game by three, four, five points and looks really good doing it, and gives us a lot of optimism heading into not just the Ohio State game, but also into ACC play. Honestly, I think it's mainly because of this fact that Gonzaga is the most 
uh, is the most efficient offensive team in the country, and it's not close. And I think that is the real key here. Can you limit them uh, on offense? And if you can, then this makes this game closer. UCLA last night could not do that. So that's why we saw the blowout that we did. Yeah, you know what? I, I want to talk really quick about some of the advanced metrics because you mentioned their their offensive efficiency, which is, uh, again, far and away the best in the country. I, I'm not sure if either of you guys have looked it up. So I'm about to tell you that Gonzaga has the best two-point field goal percentage in all of college basketball. Um, can either of you guess? Don't look it up. Can either of you guess what would be an outrageously high two-point field goal percentage for an entire team? They shoot 66.8% from two-point. I did research too. Oh, oh he I, looked this up? I read the research last night. I was going to guess <laughs> I was going to guess like 55. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like 55 would be really great. I, actually, Donald, I think your research was prior to the UCLA game. because Yes, the number it was. I'm, it was during the game. Correct. The number I'm seeing today is 67.2. I'm going to repeat what? that. <laughs> yes, that's insane. Their two-point field goal percentage, not including threes, their two-point field goal percentage is 67.2. That's crazy. That's really good. I, yeah. It's just, it's not a number that you can wrap your head around. Two out of every three shots they take inside the three-point arc goes in. Wow, that speaks to Jason. That speaks to the fact that they have two dudes in Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren who just can get to the basket. Like it, it's in, not even like ignoring the guards. The guards who are very good. Andrew Nemhard is experienced, knows what he's doing with the basketball. But as Peter was telling us, Drew Timmy has a an array of post moves that make basketball fans very excited about him, at least at the college level. And Chet Holmgren putbacks and he has his own sort of set of, of offensive moves. Like there are so many opportunities for Gonzaga to dunk or lay the ball in uh, from very close range. Uh, so I'm about to give you the numbers. <laughs> wait, wait until you hear this. I hope I wish folks could see your faces because I want to record your faces. So Drew Timmy on two point shots is hitting 70% on the season. He's 42 of 60, 70%. That's stupid. That's, that's a stupid, stupid. right? That's, that's stupid. Wait a second. Chet Holmgren on two-point shots is 25 of 29, 85%. Chet Holmgren's hitting 85% of his two-point shots. Chet Holmgren's hitting 85% of his two-point shots. That's just, it's just crazy. If you you haven't watched, so, so if you haven't watched Gonzaga yet this season before this Duke game, the thing that's going to stand out to you when they come onto the floor is just how different Chet Holmgren is. Like, your, the first impression is, damn, that kid is too skinny to be playing college basketball. Like, you remember how skinny <laughs> Kevin Durant was playing college basketball? And you were like, how does Kevin Durant do that stuff? Like, he's too skinny. Chet Holmgren is skinnier than Kevin Durant was in yes. college. And he might be taller. And, well, you know, the, the thing and, about Holmgren. And then, and, then the ball, and then the ball is in his hands, whether he's blocking it, whether he's, he's handling it, dribbling it. And you're like. <laughs> there is there is something different about this guy. Like he should not be able to do this stuff, but his handle and his precision is incredible. And this is why I think the biggest matchup of Friday night will be Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren versus Paul Bancaro and Mark Williams. And you can Absolutely. throw Theo John into that yeah. too, because those two, like I think that like Paul Bancaro has this has had this date circled forever because he he knows that when people talk about him chet holmgren is in that sentence with him and he wants to make sure that there is there is separation between the two and i think chet holmgren believes the same thing too and the really interesting thing about 
those matchups is I think, you know, obviously guys switch and stuff like that and players come in. I think you're going to mostly see Paulo matched up with Chet because they're both power forwards. They're both guys who they don't play in the post a ton. Um, And and you're going to see Mark matched up with Drew Timmy. Uh, and I and, actually think John, and Theo John too. We'll, and Theo John, Drew, Drew, Timmy. I, I think uh, Drew Timmy has not played someone with Mark Williams is kind of like look. We talk about Chet Holmgren's length, you know, seven footer with a seven six wingspan. But guess what? Mark Williams, yes, Mark Williams, seven footer with a seven six wingspan. So uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see Drew Timmy, who's that master of of making all those moves in the post. Him operating against Mark Williams to me is gonna is is huge because as great as Chet Holmgren is. He only averages like 12 points per game. Their, their, their offense runs much more through Drew Timmy than it does through Chet Holmgren. And Williams and Theo John's ability to frustrate Drew Timmy, if, Duke, if Duke's going to have a chance, that's, that's where that chance begins, I think. Yeah, the, the defense on Timmy is the, is the key. And like you were saying, Jason, it's, it's the job of Mark Williams and Theo John to take that assignment because – they're the defensive-minded centers on this team. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that despite the you, – you would think it would be the other way around given the, the general body shapes, but uh, not the case given the, the skill sets involved. The one thing I saw last night against UCLA and what I've seen from Gonzaga quite a bit is that their transition offense is really good. Ours is really good too, but the one factor for us, the X factor that I'm going to look for is whether we can handle them on their transition. Our transition – transition defense needs to be on point because they were really able to get a lot of good, quick, open shots because of how quickly they were able to get out in transition. And again, this is a smart basketball team. So they're able to find guys on the wing or even go straight to the hole. And like you saw with Neemhart last night, he was able to just eat UCLA's lunch, especially with the smaller guards. So this is on Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels to be able to get back on defense when we have to and make sure you stop that guy from getting to the basket because if you can do that and you have to set that up, then you have a chance of stopping them in the half court. But the one thing in the half court that you have to worry about is offensive rebounds. Again, my research, Jason, was before the UCLA game last night, so mine is a little different from yours, but they get an offensive rebound on 38.6% of missed shots. That is a lot. So that is a lot of offensive rebounds, which means that only their, their big guys are getting to the basket. And even if they miss, chances are they're getting the second chance shots. That's where we have to limit them to, because if we can get them out in one possession, in one shot, we're going the other way. And then they're on their back heels. I think there hasn't been a team yet this year that have put Ken Gonzaga on their back heel. That's where we need to try and do on Friday night. And, and you know, I mean, it's natural that we are all going to focus on the big men because uh, Paulo and, and Chet Holmgren are battling to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Drew Timmy's the national player of the year. Mark Williams just exudes potential and is a, you know, just as a, a problem when he's uh, asserting himself in the lane. But I, I, re- I, I suspect whichever team, if one team is able to really dominate in the backcourt, dominate may be too strong. You know, if Duke's able to shut down Andrew Nemhart. If Gonzaga is able to really frustrate Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore, uh, that's probably too much for any of the big men to overcome. So, so we shouldn't. I, I don't want us to overlook that being a really, really important matchup as well. And I think that's actually the place where I feel like Duke may have a little bit of an advantage. I mean, to be honest, I think Gonzaga's big men are probably they're one of the few in the country, but they're probably a little bit better than Duke, than Duke's big men. 
Um, I think Duke's advantage may be in the backcourt, especially Wendell Moore. And I think when it comes to Moore, we talk about the Shane Battier numbers. Chet Holmgren is, is getting close to putting up Shane Battier numbers, but Wendell Moore actually is. And I think that is an X factor that cannot be overlooked. So uh, when it comes to our backcourt, Jeremy Roach taking care of the basketball, that's important because I, I think he has a tendency last year, he had a tendency to kind of, uh, you know, react wildly to games like this big games where he would kind of play a little bit wild. He's played more reserved this year. He's played a bit more cautious. So that will help him if he can continue to do that. Trevor Keels, I think, is a big X factor because he's huge. And again, he can stop Neidhart and, and just kind of say, look, I'm I'm as big as you. So try and go through me. And then Wendell Moore being the X factor. If he can put up the numbers that he's been doing all year, that is going to be something that Gonzaga's never seen before this year. And I think that could be a really, really big key for us. All right, guys. I can't believe that on a preview of a game, we are approaching one hour. Wow. <laughs> Long podcast. Before we go, one thing I want to do, prediction time. And Sam, I'll come to you first. G- give me your call. You know, if you want to just give me the score, if you want to give me a little bit more of a tail, um, what's your prediction for this big game? I don't think that Duke has enough right now to beat Gonzaga, which is not to say that Duke couldn't develop the ability to beat Gonzaga later in the season. I very much hope that this is not the last time that Duke sees Gonzaga this season, because if Duke does get another shot at them, it is probably in an elite eight at the earliest, if not a final four or a national championship game. I think that Duke loses this game 89 to 85. It's a few more points than Peter or Ken Palm are predicting. I'm looking at, at Duke and Gonzaga's recent games and saying that both of these teams just want to run and put the ball in the basket a lot. So I think it's a high scoring Gonzaga win. Donald. I am going to be at the game, so I am going to be a homer in this prediction. Uh, it is going to be 85-83 Duke. Uh, and the reason why I say that, two free throws to win it, seal it by Wendell Moore. So I'm going to go ahead and predict that Duke, who has struggled a little bit on three-point shooting, um, breaks out a little bit against Gonzaga. And, and that's going to be the thing that's going to allow the Blue Devils to win this game 87-86. to 86. I mean, I'm talking really, really close down to the end. I, I, I think that the Blue Devils are going to get it done. And I think it's mostly going to be that backcourt. Trevor Keels is due for a good game. And I think Wendell, this is me, Wendell Moore's coming out party. I think a lot of us think Wendell Moore may be, may be ready to be a, an All-American. And this is going to be the game where the national media starts to recognize that Wendell Moore is that good and is ready to be an All-American. All right, before we get to this game, I have one more prediction question for the two of you. Mark Williams, blocking a lot of shots this year. Chet Holmgren, blocking even more shots this year. How many block shots for each of Mark Williams and Chet Holmgren in this game? Four and four. Four and four. Four and four. Jason? Uh, I'm going to go Mark Williams only gets three, and I think Chet Holmgren will also get four, yeah. I think Chet Holmgren's going to block five shots in this game because Duke is going to take some... some, Ill, uh, ill-advised drives into the lane, and I think Mark Williams is only going to get three. That's th- this is the fun prediction for me for this game. <laughs> Don't add that to the stats game. No, 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 no we're not yeah. putting not in the stats game, uh, folks. That's going to do it for us here on uh, episode three hundred and sixty-one of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thanks for joining us. We have a big, big game on Friday. We can't wait. We will come at you right after that game is done. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thanks for joining us. Hey, by the way, 
The email box has been exploding lately. It's crazy how many emails y'all are sending to us. Keep them coming. We love them. DBR whether podcast. Or not, G- yeah. I was going to say that whether or not I was wrong about my about my statement uh, after the, the whole DUI thing has, has become a big topic of conversation. <laughs> it has. It has. <laughs> folks, are, folks are taking sides. Um, like I was saying, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's the email address. Write to us. We'd love to hear from you. Until we hear from you, we will let the Duke Band take us out and play us home. Beat the Zags! And then, and then uh, we'll bid farewell to you, and then the three of us will do a little extra stuff that you don't even need to worry about. I promise we <laughs> won't good. mock we won't mock you too much. No, that's totally fine. <laughs> right have, on the I internet, have, you know, I have no going to be the first time. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no bad words for Gonzaga. I don't know what I, I don't know what I don't know what well, I would you're say. one of the rare ones. <laughs> what? Yeah, we're we're all fine. So. Hang on, yeah. wait. So so before we so before we, wait, what are the what are the bad things that people say? Like like there's people who who like who think that. Gonzaga is not like a top tier program or whatever, but what are the bad things that they say about them? I mean, it's just, you, you, you know, and you know, it's tw- generally speaking, it's like Twitter. So it's like, you're dealing with kind so of, it's like, not people. Yeah. It's like lowest common denominator stuff. And a lot of it is just the, I, you know, I guess it's probably people who just pick them to win the entire thing too many times during like their t- work bracket, you know, and they just got, burned back in like i don't know 2005 or something because it's just like you know it's it's funny it's i you know you can they're a good team no matter what they're a good team (laughs) so it's like that's what i think okay whatever we uh, are are you telling three duke fans right now that your team faces too much unnecessary hatred yeah (laughs) seriously